Um, you know, stewardship, most times we think of stewardship uh, only as money, uh, or we relate it a lot to, to dealing with money, but in reality, everything in the kingdom is about stewardship. Uh, even money, because at the end of the day, it's not my money, it's his money. But stewardship involves my life to his service. And I think at times we don't really notice that about stewardship. And I want to just take maybe 25, 30 minutes a day and just talk about some real, I think, practical keys about stewardship. Um, read some scripture. We're going to make this an official meeting, as Bill would say. Open your Bibles. Matthew 25. Um, let's, let's pray. Father, we, we love you. You are so good. And Lord, we are just in all of your presence. Lord, I thank you that you have made yourself available to us. You, you have removed the veil yourself. You have removed the handwriting that was against us. Lord, I, I didn't find you. You found me. And Lord, thank you for bringing us to the place of, of being reconciled back to you. And out of that place where we have just an intimate walk with you, Father. Lord, I, I pray today, Lord, that just for the spirit of wisdom to be released as I minister. Lord, I pray for just insight and revelation to, to pierce our hearts, God. Um, Lord, I pray this morning we in thee would have eyes to see and we would have ears to hear what you're saying, what you, what you want to uh, communicate today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, hey, by the way, guys, we're supposed to have a prayer post today from three to six. I'm not sure about that now. So if you were going to go to the prayer post, let's just have a quick five-minute meeting after service to kind of figure out how to handle it, okay? Can we do that? Good job. Give me a smile. Uh, Matthew 25, just a few verses I want to start with. Uh, verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. The, the first thing I want to say this morning about stewardship is this. As stewards of the kingdom of God, we must be faithful with what is released to us, understanding that as we are faithful, a little more is released. I think one of the most important facts we must have in our life is that as we are faithful with little, then God brings increase. Here's a parable of these uh, talents. One had one, one had two, and one had five. And out of the faithfulness of one who had five and one who had two, increase was given. And I think it's imperative that we learn as, as Christians how to steward what God has given us. Knowing that as we steward what has been given to us correctly, God will be faithful to release more to us. You know, it's like this with a lot of people with a lot of prophetic words. I probably have used before as an example, but we used to do a lot of the prophetic ministry at my church we came out of, and uh, the first Wednesday of the month, we would do prophetic services all night long for about two hours. And after we get done, we would have groups split up on either side of the audience. That way, if somebody who didn't get a word could come up and get a word. And so we've done that for years, two or three, four or five years. We did it for a long time. And I mean, this one lady would always come in line every month to get a word. And one month, I just got sick of it. And she said, I need a word, Paul. I said, here's your word. Open your Bible. And my point was this. 
people want a word from God so bad, but yet are you stealing the words you have from God already? Can I just tell you, I don't need any more prophetic words in my life. I have 17 years of prophetic words in my drawer right now on tape that I'm still trying to walk out. I don't need any more prophetic words. Will I take them? Yeah, I'll take them. They're great. But if I'm not being faithful to steward what I have now, don't go looking for something you don't in the future. And I think we do that out of immaturity. We, we think if I get this word from God, it's going to change everything. Well, you have a lot of words right there for you that if you would just take time and steward those words, it would do you good. Sometimes it's the simple things in the words we need to really take hold of. For example, when I was in California, the School of the Prophets, uh, one thing I really love about Bethel is when you go to a Bethel conference, they always give you a prophetic time slot to go to for about 30 minutes. They'll minister you prophetically. And I get some really good words out there. And they really just words that you just confirm what God's been speaking in my heart about. But one of the words was this, spend time in the Gospels. I, so you know what I did when I came home? Got in the Gospels. That's stewarding the word right there. Instead of saying, you know, that word is so insufficient, I get in the Gospels. I, that's not a good word, God. No, that could be a key that could unlock the next season of my life of what I'm supposed to be doing. We have to be faithful in the few things. I'm telling you, you have to be faithful. No matter how big you think you are, you have to remain faithful. You know, years ago, um, the church I came out of again um, was really well known as a cutting-edge church. Really just dynamic, just ahead of its time. Even in the 80s, uh, the church we came out of, which we weren't a part of it back then, but uh, they were so ahead of the curve as far as prophetic movement and dance and pageantry and banners. And people would say, that church is a cult. Don't go to that church. They were just so cutting edge. And, and so later on, they sort of bring in really big names. Mark Sharona would come in there. I'm sure you've heard of Mark Sharona. A guy named Lance Warren that would come in there before Lance was even known who he was. Lance would come in there. And, and I remember I would go to these meetings and just be in, wow, what is this I'm involved with right here? But you know what the Lord said to do, to do when I was there at the very beginning of the church? The Lord said, take your vacation and go there and clean the church. Now here, I'm called to the nations, called to preach. I'm 23 years old and I'm going to change the world. You know what I'm doing? I'm there cleaning toilets, putting chairs together, vacuuming on my vacation when nobody's there to see me do it. Why? I was going to be a faithful steward. If I knew I had a call to change the nations. But also knew part of that faithfulness was being able to go to the church and pick up a toilet brush, a plunger, a mop, a vacuum, and clean it when nobody else was there. We have to be faithful. We have, even now, you know what I did Friday when I was here? I cleaned the church. Here's the administrator, the prophet, and I'm cleaning toilets. <laughs> By the way, Joyce is not in here. Thank you, Joyce, when you clean. And can we also get some ladies and guys to maybe help clean the church as well? Because I don't mind doing it, but it would be nice to have some help cleaning the church. But, but even in that, that's part of being faithful with the few things. You know, I leave in 15 days with Nicaragua to go speak to the founder of pastors with Adam Swarzen and Mike Adams. Does that mean I can't pick up a toilet brush and clean toilets? No, we have to be faithful. Why? Because in the faithfulness, there's an increase. There's an increase. Even in the small mustard seed of faith, there's an ability to move mountains. Your littleness may look little to you, but it, is, it, it can unlock major doors for you. Okay. 
It's going to work hard. Even Zechariah says this. He says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Mighty oak trees around this place. Would you agree there's some big oak trees out here? Some, some big trees. We would agree there's some big trees. They started as a little bitty acorn. Don't let your smallness keep you from your fullness and what God has for you. Number two. Being a faithful steward in the small things opens the door to greater responsibility. Kind of what I just said. But Joseph is a perfect example. Joseph has this amazing dream in Genesis 37 of these stars and the moon and some bowing down to him. And, and then these sheaves bowing down. And Joseph knew that he was destined to be a great leader in, in Israel. And yet Joseph, because of his own really pride, hey, you're going to bow down to me. Listen, sometimes wisdom says just don't go tell your dreams to everybody in your family. Because sometimes the worst people tell your dreams to is your family. Because they're the ones going to backstab you and throw you into prison. I just, you said that scripture. But Joseph here has this amazing dream. And Joseph, instead of finding himself in the palace, finds himself in slavery. And from slavery, from a pit to slavery, and from that to Potiphar's house. But everywhere Joseph went, whether it was in Potiphar's house or the prison, he was always put in charge. His gift was always making room for himself. It says that in Potiphar's house, he was in control of everything in his house. When he went to the prison, he was in control of everything in the prison. When he was in rule over Egypt, he was over, he was over the entire land of Egypt. Why? He was faithful in small things. Small things can launch you into greatness. And listen, the fact that everything looked contrary to the promise of God never gave him the right not to be faithful. When things don't look right in your life, when things look contrary, that does not give you or me the right not to remain faithful. We can just stop the meeting right there and go home on that one. Because how many times has life happened and life has backfired and our face and we want not to remain faithful to the call? By the way, let me just say this. And this is not to correct anything, okay? We all have the same call. All calls to bring heaven to earth. The call comes in different modes. What we're really trying to find is what's the mode my call comes in? Is my call coming through a pastoral office? Does it come through an itinerant ministry? Does it come through working with kids? Does it come through working with CEOs? What's the mode my call comes to? Because you're, see, we all share the same call. We all have the same call. The thing which is different is the mode in which we do the call. My mode is different than Justin's. Leah's is different than Molly's. Molly's is different than Ryan's. We all have the same call, but the mode is different. And we have to find the mode in which we do the call in. Make sense? Because here's the thing, the mode changes. The call never changes, the mode does. But because of his faithfulness in all things, it becomes the launching pad to see the dream of God realized in his life. When he's faithful, when everything around him says you don't need to remain faithful, when he's faithful, when everything is against him, it becomes the thing that launches him to the dream he had when he was 17 years old. You know, he was 17 years old when he had a dream, and he was 30 when he got the king. Second in command. He endured 13 years of hardship. Again, 
Our American society says drive through, drive through, drive through, get it now. And the kingdom just does not operate that way. We have to make a shift in how we think because we will frustrate the call of God because we don't understand the timing of God. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But this mentality we have that says it's now, it's now, it's now, is not how it works because it's always a process. You never arrive. You never, we will never fully know God. Angels, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because there's always a fresh understanding of who God is. Can I tell you, my prayer time again this week has just been fantastic. Now, it's not angels and gold dust and those, but it's just been the heart of the Father's being just being revealed to me. And I just started getting headaches again. When you start praying like, Lord, you are infinitely eternal. And then you start thinking about the fact that he wasn't created. He just always was. And so your finite mind tries to comprehend an infinite being who always was. And my head begins to hurt really bad. I'm like, oh, God. So it's never a place where we arrive at knowing who God is. We'll always be knowing who he is. We'll never have it all figured out. And so even in the process, you never arrive. Not fully, because really the process is knowing him. Really the full, the full thing is knowing him. Not that I finished my race. And that's part of it. But the thing is, do you know him? So be a steward in the small things. Number uh, three. As stewards, we're entrusted to oversee another, another's possessions. Matthew 25, verse 14. Same parable, beginning of it now. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. We are entrusted to oversee another's possessions. Your money is not your own. Your time is not your own. Your family is not your own. Your life is not your own. This has to become a reality that we live like from. Because if we don't, we will forfeit and frustrate the plan of God. I've been talking a lot about this verse, just off and on. First uh, Corinthians six, verse twenty, where Paul says, "Your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price." If there's ever a relation we need in this house, it's the fact that my life is not my own. I never have the right to stand up. The Lord's begin speaking to me this year about a different, some different things. He says, Paul, he says, I want to eradicate out of your vocabulary the word no. You never have the right to say no to God ever again. What would happen if we so let God eradicate the word no out of my life? The Lord's been speaking about living a life with no strings attached. Doing things for people with no motive of any hope in return. I do it because I just love you. That's a life that's not your own because you have no desire to get anything for yourself. Even Adam was called to cultivate the garden, which wasn't his, it was God's. And the thought I've been thinking a lot about, and I actually stole this from a pastor, uh, but man, I love his concept. He talked about his life being a blank check. And I've really been thinking a lot about, is my life a blank check? It says, God, you can spend me however you want to spend me. 
You can spin me however you want to use me, God. I don't have any say in I mean, the crowd like yesterday when I was on this thought because I'm leaving in 10 days. And if you don't know this, I have a son and I love him really much. I don't know if y'all can tell I love my son. I, I try to show that. That's been me being funny. Because it helps me deal with the hurt. You can ask the team from Guatemala. I, I wasn't. I was a wreck. Because I have my son. I can talk to Rachel. I, I love Rachel. That's... I love my wife, but, you know, your son can't pick up the phone and go, so dead at daycare, I was on the playground and I went face first on the rocks, you know, or dead today, I had the greatest poopy job ever, and I mean, my diaper exploded, you know, just the things two years old would say, you know, or today I threw mac and cheese and I hit my little girlfriend in a daycare, you know, you, you can't have that, and so today, just yesterday, I was in prayer, I mean, I think about my life being a blank check. And growing up, with, but, at the end, but you know, I just say, God, my life is not my own. I, I can't stay because of my son. And I said, Lord, I give him to you. So in 10 days, I leave again for another five-day trip to see the kingdom come and to see a nation rot with the power of God. And my son's going to stay behind and my wife's going to be behind. And I'm going to be like, God, how did I do this? But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because my life is not my own. And we have to get that reality in this house that our life is not our own. We can never say no to God. And when I, when I was talking about the blank check, the Lord spoke to me something real powerful. And I want to read what the Lord spoke to me. He said, the problem, however, for many, is that they wrote the check themselves and they signed my name to it. In other words, they're forging their true purpose for what he has called them to do. There are people in the body of Christ today who have wrote their own check and put God's name and said, this is what God's going to do, and it's not what God has called you to do. I don't want to do that. I want to be so faithful to the call of God, knowing that if I'm faithful to the call of God, then God will take care of my family, take care of my son, and my son will know that Daddy is doing his calling. Last night, I was privileged to sit down with a man named Jack Harris. Jack Harris, I met in uh, 2006 through a friend named Kelly McDaniel. And Jack and his wife, Sherry, have been uh, missionaries for 32 years. They've lived in India. They've lived in Malaysia. Jack has um, been through beatings, stonings. Jack has seen it all. Uh, Jack's in the power of God release. He's probably been in I don't know how many countries, plenty of churches. Matter of fact, Jack... Um, uh, in India, they lived in India for four years. Jack made so many converts in India that a few years back, the Indian government sent a letter to him saying, you can never come back in our country because you have planted and made too many converts. You can never come back. And so Jack never went to India. That's how impactful Jack is in the nation is that um, countries, Vietnam, says you cannot come back because of what you're doing. You're, you're destroying communism. And I got to sit with Jack last night for about two hours, me and Rachel and Adam for my niece's wedding, and just began to just ask Jack, how did you do it? How did you travel like you traveled and, and, and leave three girls behind and a wife? And he just gave me some really good insight. But he goes, Paul, it's like you said, my life is not my own. Guys, if we can get anything on today, is, is this. What would happen if we, one, two, three, about 20 in here today, live for the revelation that my life is not my own? 
and we don't forge checks any longer about my purpose in life. No, we're going to let it marinate like a good steak and some good bills seasoning and just let it soak it all up. He wants a blank check this morning. He wants your blank check. He wants to go to Nicaragua with me in 10 days. He wants to go to another trip next year. He wants to go next year to another. He wants to go next year to the country. Let's raise your hands now. Let's just see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Let's. Right, so we're gonna do a trip now. We're gonna. Put, I'm gonna put one together next year. What was that? Low. How about we? We'll go somewhere we can drive for you, Mark. <laughs> we can go to the jerk cartel. But, you know, even our families. Even in our families. We have to lay our life down. What if we truly let our life down for our wives and our kids? And our wives lay down the life of the husbands and our kids. What if our kids lay their life down for the mom and dad? What if we truly became so self-sacrificial because Jesus said, greater love is none of this than to lay his life down. Now, that doesn't always mean you got to die for somebody. But I choose you over myself. What would happen if we were going to do that? I think the freedom point can really explode and impact people. Because at the end of the day, I have no strength attached to what I'm doing. I love you for you. And my life is yours. Next one. I'm just going to wait. Just go ahead and go to the next point. Let me just wait. Because that's just a real heavy point. In my... It's just where I am. It's just where I am. Tell you what, guys. I really want to encourage us, even about laying up than our life. Even about this season of prayer we're really in. I want to really encourage us, just kind of get out the notes about giving ourselves for the prayer. Let me tell you, we are in a season of divine revelation. God is, is pouring out revelation. And it's available to all of us, but it's available to those who would Go in beyond the bell. Tell you what happened. I, I wasn't going to share this, but um, I journal when I pray every day. Because there's just insight in the journaling you put in. You don't need to pray about then. Does it make sense? Like you get something from God, it's like, that's really good, but I need to pray about that now. So it's like your prayer focus just takes on this Sunday dynamic. But, but you know, in Christ, the veil has been removed. We understand that. Scripture's been, there is no more veil. So the veil that separated God from man has been removed, okay? We understand that. We get that. But I had an encounter on Wednesday with, with the Lord in prayer that was, um, it was powerful. 
It, it was powerful. And I saw the heart of God. And yet I saw all these veils in front of this, the heart of God. And they weren't veils I couldn't go through. It was just veils he was inviting me to go through in prayer. And it goes back to really knowing him and laying my life down because he wants to be known. God really wants to be known. But he won't be known by people who refuse to know him. Again, I, I don't want to get in this whole message of grace because I had a kind of a thing with somebody on Facebook the other day about it, but James 4, 8, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. There, we have to not think because Jesus said it's finished that everything's finished. It is finished does not remove personal responsibility. I've said this many times, but I want to say because we're, I'm telling you, we're in, I, I, was, I called, I, when, when this event happened with the heart of God, I called, I called Adner. I said, let me just tell you what I saw, man. Dude, has this ever happened, or do you got any insight about this? He goes, man, he goes, that's really neat. And we just began a dialogue about some things, and got really prophetic about what we were saying. And, and uh, I just, I, we really, I realized through talking with Adner, how that there is this divine alignment God's wanting to bring his people into but, but we have to press into it. And that's why I, we have to be people of prayer. Can I tell you one of the greatest religions I've got was this year out of everything I've ever got from God. I got the greatest religion this year in August. And this is really mind-blowing. Okay, so you're, you don't want to write this down. Okay, this is me. I'm driving down the road going to meet somebody and the Lord says, you don't know how to seek me. And I started laughing. Because was, he was so true. I don't know how to seek God. And I've sought God for 17 years. <laughs> but I found such freedom in that. Because I found such freedom like, man, you already know God. I don't know how to seek you. I don't. I pray. I read my Bible. But I really don't know how to seek you. And I'll tell you what. In the past two weeks, I've had the, the greatest time of Father. Feeling his love, his grace, his wisdom, his insight. Why? Because I purposely put myself in this position. I'm going to learn how to pray. And the funny thing was this. And he said, don't pray in tongues either. Now, again, nothing against tongues. Why? Here's why. Because if you're like me, you can go autopilot on tongues. You know, 45 minutes. Shot call, da, da, da. You know, and you're done in 45 minutes. But to sit there and pray in English, oh, that's tough. But man, there's been a grace. There's been a grace this week. That I didn't have to pray 40, 45 minutes to an hour and not look for words, not struggle. Because I'm telling you, when, when Lee preached two weeks ago and there was that anointing to step into, I knew God had given me a grace. I'm telling you guys, God is wanting to reveal his heart to his people. I'm telling you, he showed me his heart and oh my God. Amazing. I'm telling you, we are in a divine season of religion and it's open for everybody. But you have to go through the door. This is not osmosis. You will not get it because man's got it. Many are called, few are chosen. Few are chosen because few choose to be chosen. Not because God says, I choose you, I reject you. The person says, I really lay my down and I choose you. Even with the disciples, he had the twelve who saw great things. Walking on water, dead being raised. Fish, loaves, multiplied. He saw that. But then he had the three, Peter, John, and John, who went up on the mountain and saw his glory revealed. 
That's great. You see dead raised and food multiplied to walk on water, but I want to go on the mountain and see your glory revealed. He wants to show us his revealed glory is what he's looking for in people. Stewardship is the way it happens. And I might go past 25 minutes. I apologize. Moving on. Uh, as stewards of the voice of God, we must accurately discern the season we're in and be careful of how we speak and the timing in which we speak the word of the Lord. James 5. Is this making sense, by the way? Thank you, Justin. You're a smart guy, Justin, because I'm asking you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Feed my ego. James 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I want to start with how we speak. How we speak. Because, listen, we're stewards of the voice of God. We are really God's voice in the earth. That freaks people out. You tell that you're, you are God's voice in the earth. I mean, you tell some people, they're like, oh, my God, they're Kool-Aid drinkers. <laughs> they drink that Kool-Aid there. How we speak, we never want to misrepresent the nature of God. We don't want the words we speak to make him look one way or what he desires to do to look one way when, in fact, it looks completely different. So, in other words, we want to have congruency with what we speak. We want our words and our actions to be in line. So there's how we speak, then there's the timing. Uh, Ecclesiastes took everything, there's a season. You know, even Isaiah prophesied, unto us this day a Savior is born. The only issue there was, Isaiah prophesied that seven years, 700 years earlier that he was uh, to be uh, born. But then one day, Gabriel released that word over Mary and it produced the Messiah through the Holy Spirit. Listen, let me, th- let me give you a real key. This is crucial right here. God desires that we first, please listen to this if you hear anything. God desires that we first become trusted stewards of his voice in our own life before he trusts us to be that to somebody else. God would never trust you to steward his voice to somebody else when you were not stewarded over your own life. He just, he just, he just won't do that. If I'm not going to honor the voice of God in my own life, don't expect me to get a word for you. By the way, let me just say this about kind of talking about prophetic stuff here. You understand because you give a wrong prophetic word doesn't make you a false prophet. If I give you a word and it's wrong, that doesn't make me a false prophet. Acts 16, these men from the Most High God, remember the woman who was possessed with the spirit of divination, and she was talking about Paul. And how these were the most men from the most You remember that scripture? Was she right? It's a simple question. Was she, wait, let's talk. Let's dialogue. Was she right? Yes or no? Yes. Who said yes? You win, the, you win the grand prize. Yes. What was the issue? The spirit she did it from was wrong. That makes her the false prophet. False prophets are not people who miss words. It's people who prophesy from the wrong spirit. Even in Matthew 7, when Jesus talks about false prophets, he never once mentions those as being people who speak wrongly. He talks about how they are dressed differently on the outside than what's on the inside. 
That should make you really freak as people fly. I don't want to be a false prophet and miss it. Listen, if you miss it, you're not a false prophet, you're just a wrong prophet. <laughs> and guess what? In the Old Testament, they didn't stone wrong prophets. Just false ones. That should make you that relief. Ah. Smile, guys. Come on now. This is good stuff. That's what you say, Paul. That's what you say. Moving on. Which is about the like, talking about our life being a blank check because that was like real emotional and we were kind of in touch and now took us off the deep end as usual. Number, uh, I don't know what number I'm on. As stewards, we are partnering with Heaven's purpose to see them released and manifested in the earth. Again, talks about you know we would talk about this one day. Your calling, your calling, your calling. Here's your calling, guys. Your calling is to make heaven invade earth. That's it. Your mode is different. But, you know, even our prayer, let's talk about this one as well, because the Lord told Moses in Exodus 24 to come from the mountain. And Moses was the seven days in the glory of God. And then you go into chapter 25, and the Lord gives him this a download of what the pattern in heaven looked like. And he said, I want you to build a tabernacle after what you see in heaven. So what he wants to do is he wants to be a, make a people who sees the realities of heaven so we can build them in the earth. Heaven's the blueprint. Heaven's the model. Heaven's the place, but it's also the blueprint of what he wants us to look like. So what happens? He positions himself in the place of prayer to see heaven's reality. Why? So he can build it. Everything that Moses built, everything he carried in the wilderness for 40 years was an exact replica of what God showed him in heaven. That, again, is why we have to be positioned in prayer because of the season of divine revelation we're in. Okay. You killed some of you guys. As stewards, we're responsible for maintaining our own personal walk with God. Let me tell you this about encounters. When you faithfully steward an encounter with God, it gives you keys to enter into a place of an encounter you've never been at before. Again, prophetic words, encounters. You know, what happens? Let me tell you this. What happens when God really touches you? I mean, God really touches you. What do you do? Do you go home and watch football and Watch Cooking Channel, or do you actually take time and marinate on what God really did in that moment? I want to encourage you, when you get zapped up here and you get laid out, one of the worst things you can do is get up in two minutes. I have seen people get zapped and laid there for like an hour and a half, and they get up and they've been really transformed because they didn't rush what God was doing. And I think when we have encounters with God, whether they're powerful or not powerful, you know, I've had encounters where God just rocked me to the core, and I've had encounters where God rocked me without anything happening in my body. But I knew that I got rocked. Let me tell you, that Sunday we preached, when I'm sitting in that chair there, I'm thinking, good God Almighty. I, I, listen, I don't feel anything going on. I don't feel shapes, vibrates. I'm on fire. I don't see anything, but I know I'm in an encounter with God at that moment. I knew at that moment. I knew I had a key from God that changed my life. I knew that God was giving me an encounter that would change my walk. I, I don't know if you saw my testimony on Facebook, but let me just kind of tell you what's been going on. When we started praying on that Monday, the Lord said, contend for Rachel's headaches and your finances. So, okay, God, here we go. Let's drop in. 
Rachel, for most of you may know, Rachel had a procedure. It backfired. It was a complete failure. Headache, bad headaches. Uh, went ahead and had an MRI done. It was just really not good. Lord said, content for her healing. So, okay, God. So last Monday, Abner's sick. So I'm at home with Abner. Rachel calls about noon. And she goes, man, I went six out of no headache. Now, she hasn't went 16 years without a headache. And she went six hours with no headache. Hey, God. Now, some people would be like, well, big deal. It came back. No, to me, that's, a, that's, a, that's me breaking through. Have I broke through yet? No, but I am breaking through. So, I mean, you know what? You just keep praying. So, Tuesday, call to me. Hey, I went about five and a half hours a day, no headache. Hey, how are you, you doing? Man, my head's doing good. I'm, I'm going three, four, five, six hours a day with no headache now. Like, yeah, God. So, you know, I wrote a book on, for sale on Amazon back in February. And every month I'll get an email from Amazon.com saying, hey, you sold books, but your uh, quota has not met the amount required to send you your royalties check. And for every month I've got that email. Got it back in September as well. But dang, Amazon, give me my money. So I started praying about that as well. Went to the mailbox on Thursday, and there was a check from Amazon.com for my royalties that wasn't even the amount they were supposed to send me. Now, again, with a big check, no, nah, you buy some gas with it, <laughs> you know. Go to you have a good meal, big deal. But what happens when you positioned yourself in that moment and got to step into it and you be faithful to pray? What happens? You start seeing fruit. See, even with Rachel and her headaches, I'm just kind of diving into this about stewardship. I asked the Lord, what's the word of the Lord for her healing? The Lord said, the word of the Lord is, she needs to encounter my love like she never has before. So that became our prayer focus. Every day I pray for Rachel. Lord, I pray she would have an encounter of love. And I would start seeing things like a tsunami one day and like rain one day and like a river one day. And I would begin to just pray what I saw every day. Like, Lord, I think she's in the river of God. And Lord, your water is rushing over her head right now. Lord, this wave is coming out of your love. And I'm, I pray. And man, when you get that phone call Monday, dude, I did a backflip and the feed because I never sick. But I was like, God, you are so faithful. And that's still in the encounter. Remember, I talked last time about God giving us keys. That's those keys right there. I'm talking about. So I believe very soon I'm going to have a testimony from Rachel that says, I am completely healed. And all my medication. We have a lawful medication. You look like a dreadful health in my. Of pain pills. You got it all, man. People don't know the hell we've been through with those headaches. How it's debilitated things in your life, in her life, how the enemy has used that against her. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to see the guns of God manifest, and we're going to see the headaches completely healed. Now, I want to tell you this. Whatever you got in your own life, I want you to begin to contend for whatever you need because God is faithful. God is faithful. So we're going to see healings come in her body. We're going to see our finances get totally wrapped out and rocked and have money to finance the kingdom. I ain't looking to have money to build me a big house. We're going to have the money to put billions in the kingdom. Orphanages and hospitals and churches and Raise up people to sin to the four corners of the earth and preach the gospel. Shake, shake the earth. Let me just skip. 
I'm going to skip on down, Nathan. I'm going to skip that next one about the voice of God because I talked about that a few weeks back. Um, which but there's a you can get the whole sermon about hosting the voice of God. But here's the last one I want to leave us with. Sometimes, and here's the key word: sometimes. And I really feel that God wants it to be always, not sometimes. But sometimes we steward something that we never see the fulfillment of. Abraham stewarded a promise he never saw the fulfillment of. Abraham, can you, if, if you can count the stars in the sky and the sun, see that will be your sentence. Abraham never scratched the surface of that word. Yet he faithful was faithful to steward a word that broke forth an entire nation. And I think what God's wanting to do with this is he's one of the people who have vision, not for your life, but he also had vision for, for generations. I'm praying that I will see Amherst's grandsons and just like and just like every night I lay hands on my son and I bless him. You're blessed. I bless you. I want to do the same with his sons. His I have a four-generation vision for my family. But I will not doubt I see my, my son's grandsons. And they will be imparted to with what I've in my life. And they will do more than I have ever done. That Amir will do more than I have ever done. And that Amir's sons will do more than he has ever done. And that their sons will do more. I have a vision for seeing something, studying something that will go for years in years in churches. And God wants to expand us because I think we just dream too little. I think the majority of us in here, we dream too little. I think if we put our dreams on paper, we would probably laugh at them. I think God wants us to dream so big and so outrageous that people say, you're an idiot for believing that. What would happen if we actually sat down, what would happen if we went home today and we sat down on pen and and we just started really dreaming? Dreaming about my family, my grandkids, my grandkids. What can happen ten generations from now when I'm not even around? That's what we gotta have. God wants us to steward something we will never see. We give life to, but we don't ever see it. That's oh, I love that. I love thinking, man, I can steward something. That a hundred years, hundred fifty years, it's still going on. Why? Because you create in a people an identity of who they are. They know who they are. They know the love of God. They're healed. They're whole. They don't have any issues. They don't have to perform for you. And because they're so healed, they can just walk in what God has. And then they can bring the next generation up in that same thing of identity, purpose, calling. Healed, oh, no issues. I think I'm going to perform for you. I'm valued, I'm loved. 